What up, Orangewood? <laughs> well, it's good to be back here with uh, my Orangewood family. It's been, it's been uh, some time, and um, I see you guys have made it 45 years in ministry. Why don't you clap your hands for 45 years? From the days of Pastor Chuck Green and the 54 people who started at that uh, storefront on East Colonial to planning multiple churches that are still thriving today. To the leadership of my brother, my friend, Pastor Jeff Jakes, who I still have the privilege of preaching for today. And now under your esteemed pastor and leader, Pastor Tyler Groth, 45 years of greatness and goodness. We're big on honor um, in our tradition. So would you clap your hands for Pastor Tyler? <laughs> honor you, bro. Appreciate you. And I feel blessed because we see each other uh, twice in less than a week uh, at a jobs partnership event. And uh, to all the pastors, my good friend, Pastor Joe Creech, love you, man. And we are praying for Rita and pray God's strength and healing and grace to be upon her. Uh, all the pastors, elders, deacons, and to each of you, my father's children, I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord for, from the Kingdom Church, where I serve on the pastoral team there. Uh, our lead pastor is uh, Pastor David Jacques, and uh, we're excited about uh, what God is doing there at the Kingdom Church. Uh, my precious bride of 34 years could not be here. Um, and I just want to tell you, half of my heart is here, and the other half is at University High School. Uh, today is our cheerleading competition. And um, all of our girls are in competition uh, this morning. And um, uh, starting this youth sports ministry, we didn't know what we were getting into uh, back in January. Uh, but God has been so gracious, and uh, all of our teams except one made the playoffs. And our, our girls are in cheerleading competition today. So when I'm done here, I might give you a quick hug or two. Um, I'm trying to get over there to uh, uh, support our girls. But um, I am excited uh, to be here. Um, there is a word from the Lord. And I want you to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. The Bible says God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He said in another place, he, he cleanses us with the washing of water by his word. Because his word is truth. Jesus said the words you speak to us are spirit and life. I want to read from Galatians 1. 23 through 24. And it says, but they only kept hearing the man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. They were glorifying God because of me. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Father, my simple prayer 
as always, when I stand before you and your people, is to let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to be receptive to your word. It is in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Paul, the apostle, he's an amazing person. Love his journeys, love the teachings of the apostle Paul. And as we know, while on the road to Damascus, to persecute the church, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. And let me just sort of parenthetically insert something here. When I think about the encounter that Paul had with Christ, it reminded me of uh, how my prayer changed uh, over the years. Uh, by the way, Pastor Pete, also love you, man. Appreciate you. How my prayer changed, because I got six children. I mean, six knucklehead children. <laughs> They're all adults. Um, two of them are married, so I have two, uh, four sons, two daughters, and I have two daughters in love. We, we stay away from the word law, so they're my daughters in love and uh, treat them just as my daughters. But they've given us, since I seen you last, I added two more grandchildren. So we got seven grandchildren. So g loves his grandchildren. Um, I'm living my best life when I'm around them. But I used to pray a lot of different things for the children. Lord, if you do do this, do this, do this, God, do this, do this, do this. You, You know, parents, you know how we pray for our children. And I sort of over the years reduced it to one. So when people ask me, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your children? I say, well, just pray this prayer. Pray that my children have encounters with Jesus. Glory to God. Because when you have an encounter with Jesus, he's going to change all the other stuff that you wanted to pray about. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes everything. It changes this This zealous Judaizer, this zealous leader amongst the Jews. And when Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, blinded his eyes and had Ananias go and lay hands on him and brother Saul, receive your sight. And when his eyes was open, I like to think he never closed them in the sense of he never looked back. He kept on going forward. Paul had an encounter with the Lord. Jesus interrupted Paul's plans because God had a plan for his life. Let me just say say this. God does not, and this might stir you up a different way. God does not accept us the way we are. He accepts us the way he is. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. Be holy 
as your father in heaven is holy. Being like Jesus is necessary. So here's the thing. We used to tell people at the church that um, you may come as you are. You just can't stay as you are. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Old things are what? Passed away and all things become new. And so what happens is he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the rightness, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So again, God is not trying to accept us the way we are. He has to accept us the way he is. So Jesus gets to the cross and he dies so that everyone who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We are accepted, as Paul said in Ephesians 1.6, we are accepted in the beloved. Because Jesus is the single seed of Abraham. I want you to think about it. In Galatians 3, I know somebody else covering Galatians, but I'm covering it too today, so just bless the Lord. Um, right? I get to say what I want to say. In fact, I haven't been here in a while. I'm going to try to be done by 1.30. Try to be done. Y'all praying for me? <laughs> Paul said, when, when God told Abraham I'm going to bless your seed. He didn't say seeds as to many. He said seed as to one, and that was Christ. That, that's Galatians 3.16. And then if you skip on down to the 29th verse, he said, if you be in Christ, then, 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 then you are Abraham's seed. But if you're not in Christ, you're not of the seed of Abraham. Huh. So we are accepted in the beloved. The father accepts his son. And everybody who is in the son is accepted by him. I love Galatians. You know, what? one of the things I love about Galatians, I, I, biblical chronologists, if, if, you, if you study biblical chronology, uh, because the, the, the Bible as we know it traditionally, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and Corinthians, and all the way on to, to Revelation, it's, that's not in order as it was written, as the books were written. Biblical chronologists can't seem to agree on the order when the books were written. But what seems to be a common thread amongst biblical chronologists is that Galatians and James and first and second Thessalonians were the first. I've seen some put Galatians first. I've seen some put James first. I've seen many of them put James first. I've seen a few put first and Thess second Thessalonians first. It's amazing. But I'm saying to myself, if the Gospels highlight the life, uh, the, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, in terms of the story, I've asked myself the question, why not the Gospels be the first to be written? Why not the Gospels be the first to circulate amongst the church? I don't have the answer to that, 
But then I ask myself, why did the Holy Spirit inspire the writers of the New Testament to start? Siri, I ain't talking to you. What's wrong with you? Y'all pray for me, man. This, she just keeps interrupting me. And them young people that know this stuff, if y'all know how to turn her off, let me hit me up. I ain't figured it out yet. So, what was I saying? Oh, Galatians. So I said, God, why Galatians and James and why those books were the earliest? Why is it that when these converts came to Christ and, and, and letters started to be circulated amongst the church, why these letters before the Gospels? I didn't get total clarity, but here it is. Um, James talks about how to be true to faith. Our true faith equates to uh, our results in what is called orthopraxy. We love orthodoxy, which is our belief, uh, what we believe, and, and a lot of people are clear on what we believe. What do you believe? I believe Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. We talk about that all day long. That's a wonderful thing. But orthopraxy is how you take your belief and you practice it every single day. And it's amazing to me that there are a lot of people who are good with the teaching, but they don't practice it when they leave the church. We don't see it showing up in marriages and in families and in communities. And we, we can sit next to each other, husbands and wives in church, because that's what we do. And and, 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 and it gives a certain look. But after the benediction, we sit so far from each other in the car and sleep so far from each other at home. No conversation. What are we doing? The orthopraxy of some, James is like, faith without works is that you can have the faith, but got to have the works. Now, here it is now. People got confused on this. We don't work for our faith. We work from it. We got the faith, and now that I have the faith, let me go to work. Let me go let my light shine so all men can see my good works and glorify the Father that is in heaven. But the same Jesus that said, let your light shine in the world and that same set of verses said, let your lamps shine at home. Oh, we love to shine so bright out here. How many of us are shining at home? Pastor Tyler mentioned about my wife and we've celebrated 34 years. I'm going to tell you something about 34 years. We still love each other, but we really still like each other. How many husbands and wives can say y'all still like each other? Don't raise your hand. I ain't trying to get nobody in trouble today. I, I mean, I love her. I love him, but don't know if I like him too much. Man, we, we still like each other. 
Because, you know, in our tradition, and uh, Mark, you know this. You've been, you know, you've been hanging out with us for a long time. Um, in our tradition, you know, uh, when, when the preacher's getting with it, man, and preaching, you know, somebody on that Hammond B3 organ, done, and then the preacher start preaching for another two hours. <laughs> and people standing up, shouting, cheering. And I told the church one day, I said, you know, I don't preach to get the cheers. I don't preach to get people standing up. But if you want to stand up, that's fine. And you want to cheer, that's cool. But the one person that I need to see standing or cheering me on or clapping my hand is my wife. Because she knows the real me. I don't want April bowing her. See, y'all standing up, but y'all don't really know him like I do. That look at that. Mm. I want her to see the loving man, the pastor of my home. I need to, I need for my children to see that. I need for my grandchildren to see that, that I am their servant. And there was a point in time some years ago, my message is taking a little turn here, but there was a point in time some years ago where God needed to expose the outing family's greatest sinner. And this is about 12 years or so ago, one of the dark seasons of my life. And one of one of my sons just looked like he just woke up one day and just said, I'm just going to be stupid for the rest of my life. I'm going to just do the very opposite of what you and mom taught. Uh, I, I'm not going to follow the teachings of Christ. I mean, it was like he was trying to be the number one thug in the city of Orlando. And I didn't know how to take it. I went to a dark place. I did. I went to a very dark place because society can be so unforgiving. And, and, and when people see a person's child or children, if they're not walking the straight and narrow, one of the first things people will say, they might not say it in your face, but they're going to say it behind your back. I wonder what kind of parents they are at home. Because if they were parenting right, the children would be right. Ah, the Lord had to share something with me. We train them up in the way that they should go, not the way that they will go. The way that they should go is the teachings of Scripture, the principles of our family, but it's their choice as to whether or not they want to go that direction. And I remember the Holy Spirit impressing something on my heart during that time, because I'm going to tell you something. I made the mistake. If I could do it all over again, I'll be a whole better parent, much better father. That's why I think I'm a better grandfather than I am a father. I think my children see it. Dad, you ain't do that with us. Well, y'all weren't my grandchildren. <laughs> I took the failures of my son or my, and my children and made it about me. How are you going to do this to me? How are you going to make me look bad? I'm a pastor. I'm a leader in the community. Don't you know who I am? People all over this city know me. Y'all are making me look bad. And I made it all about me. And then the Spirit of the Lord 
just impressed something on my heart. I wasn't willing to extend grace. Um, I heard these words so clearly. If you're not willing to extend grace to your children, don't expect grace from me. Now, here's a question. What would our life be like if God treated us the way we treated people? Oh, it's quiet in the Presbyterian church this morning. <laughs> if we prayed this prayer, God, I give you the permission to do unto me and treat me the way I treat others, how would God be treating you? Because he said, love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is not less than, he said the second law is equal on the same footing as the first, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, when he taught us how to pray, he hit a bunch of points. He really did hit a bunch of points, but he only re-emphasized one point. After he said, um, after for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen. But then the very next verse, it's like he had to reiterate forgiveness. Remember in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Right? Give us our day, our daily bread. Lead us not into all of the. It's, it's a bunch of points he hit, but only one of them he wanted to emphasize. He said, if y'all ain't willing to forgive others, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Hmm. So, Dave, if you're not willing to extend grace to the people in your life, why are you preaching it? Why are you expecting grace from me, but you ain't willing to give grace to your wife, your children, the people in your life? See, I don't want to just come preach a message about the orthodoxy, our belief of Scripture, without including the praxi of it. We need to apply the principles of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit in our life. And in Thessalonians, Paul dealt with ethical problems, eschatological misconceptions, and talking about the return of Jesus. But then in Galatians, he talks about, um, he, he covers rather how the Judaizers taught really that Christ was not enough, that you need Jesus plus the law. And in the writings of Paul, if you go back to Corinthians, Trying to follow the law and trying to follow Jesus is like committing adultery. You, you, got, you can only have one lover. And no one can follow the law at all. That's why Jesus came. Listen, if you and I was all right, he would have stayed in heaven. But because we were all jacked up. Oh, y'all want to know what jacked up means? have sinned and come short of God's glory. They taught Christ and. Then Paul goes on and after the first chapter talking about who has bewitched you? Why y'all talking about going back to something that God has delivered you from? 
Galatians focuses on justification by faith in Christ alone and not the works of the law. So I said all that to say this. Here's what I really want to say. So start the clock now. The, the message starts now. <laughs> all right, I'll be done by 1.15, all right? Let's talk about this word grace, God's favor, his unmerited favor. Favor, grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. His mercy is withholding from us what we do deserve. I'm so grateful for the grace of God. So I want to give you these four points. And I'm covering because my assignment it was to cover the 11th verse to the 24th verse. So I just want to include these four points. And that is, number one, the grace of God causes us to rehearse. That's the first R. Rehearse our paths. Verse 13, Paul says, I used to persecute the church. See, when, when God has done something in your life, you ain't scared. In, uh, in the hood, we say, you ain't scared. You ain't scared to talk about who you were and, 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 and what you've done and, and, and how you have failed. You're not, you're not afraid of that. Because when you can expose the sins in your life, God can deal with it for real. Because here's the thing. The power of sin is the secrecy of sin. Anything that is a secret in your life has a stronghold over your life. And that's why when we want to sin, we want to try to cover it up. Ah, we don't want nobody to know. Paul's like, listen, man, y'all, let, let me testify the grace of God, I used to, I used to be about that life. Y'all know what about that life mean? About that life mean I wasn't always in the church. I was about that world life. I was about that life. Yeah. I used to come after y'all, persecute. I consented to the death of Stephen. Yeah, that was me. When God was ready for me, <laughs> rehearses, gives me the second R, he redeems. Paul said in the 15th verse, called by grace, he redeemed him. He purchased him with his own blood. Say, Paul, you belong to me. Paul, why are you persecuting? You didn't think I existed but why are you persecuting me? Well, who, who, who are you, Lord? I, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecuted and who you are persecuting. And I can imagine Saul of Tarsus. Thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Jesus really is the Messiah. And Paul, I love Paul because he says stuff like this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he didn't say, 
I was one of the ones in the back. He said I was the chief one. I was front of the line. I was a professional sinner. I was one of the worst ones. And Jesus came into the world to save me. So grace causes us to rehearse. I don't mind talk, telling my story. I don't mind saying how the sinner in the outing family, the greatest sinner in the outing family was the dad because I had a sin that you can't hardly recognize because, and it's the worst of sins. And the worst of sins, in my opinion, is pride. It was the sin of pride that caused Lucifer to be lifted up and try to overthrow uh, God's, God's throne. Sin of pride. You can have it and not know it. And God had to expose that in me. He had to expose that I wasn't all who I said I was. And I said, God, I thank you for your grace. Like Psalm 119, uh, I, I believe it's around the 71st verse. He said, it was good that I've been afflicted that I might learn your statutes. It was good that I've gone through. Good that I had this experience, oh God. Good that I've been in this dark place because God, that is when the light of the gospel really shined upon my heart. And that was my my moment, my moment where I came out of that darkness and it made me a better version of myself. It made me a better husband, a better father, a better preacher, a better everything. When God revealed that to me. Stop putting your kids on pedestals that they, that even you <laughs> weren't able to live up to. See, we want our kids to live up to a standard that even we weren't able to live up to. Don't lie. Don't act like you've always been saved. You ain't been saved all your life. Some of us was just nasty. Nasty with our mouth. Nasty with our actions. Nasty in our behavior. Nasty. I'm going to prove to you how nasty you were. And me too. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God but I love the 11th verse. The 11th verse says, such were some of you, uh, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. So what Paul just did, he lists all those sins. And sadly, sadly enough, church folk today love to just focus on one or two of them. But if you read the whole list, we all up in that story. Mark, don't egg me on, man. I'm going to be here till 2 o'clock now. <laughs> We're all in the story. No, 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 no. We may not know your full story, but we all got a little stuff stuffed in our trunk, stuff uh, that's in the dark that we don't want nobody to know about. But let me tell you something. 
We all, we all have had issues and still do. Have, God's still working on me. I ain't fully delivered from everything. And if you cross me the wrong way, you're going to get another side of me. I'm, I'm working on it, though. But it's, it's, like, it's like the pedals on a bicycle. Hebrews 10, 14. By one offering, Jesus has he perfected, E-D, perfected in the past at the cross. He perfected all those who are being sanctified. So you know what that says? I am as perfect as I'm ever going to be because I'm in Christ, but I still got issues and he working on me. I'm perfect, but he's still working on me. He perfected ED in the past. That means he perfected us, but our perfection is in Jesus. It's not in us. It's not in us. We have the imputed righteousness of God. Impute means to credit right? How many of y'all would love for me to hand out a bunch of credit cards or debit cards, really, with a million dollars on it? How many of y'all be standing in line? My little fella right there raised his hand. You the only one that gets one. <laughs> brother said, listen, I don't know about y'all. I'm about to get this million. I'm about to break a brother off up in here, man. I'm about to get this million, man. What you talking about? And I say, What's your name, young man? Davis. Davis, what, um, what, did you, what did you do to deserve me giving 100 million? Well, I, I cleaned up my room and I washed the dishes two weeks ago. I helped my dad cut the yard. Bruh, there ain't nothing you can do to deserve this credit, this imputed gift that you did nothing to deserve. But the one thing I'm asking you to do, Davis, you're going to use this, this card. You got to activate it. How do you activate it? You got to call this number or you got to use it. You can put the pin number, blah, blah, blah. You got to activate it. And the way we activate it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And bam, instantly we've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And now my perfection is in him. My joy is in him. My faithfulness is in him. Everything about me is in him. In him I live and move and have my being. It's in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Such were some of you. What Paul is saying is, you might have been that way, but you can't stay that way. You have to be washed. And the third thing that comes in these set of verses after the Lord rehearses and redeems, the third thing, verse 16, Paul said, he revealed his son in me. He reveals who Jesus is. Do you know the, 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 the goal and the job of the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is, is almost like a sculptor, right? And the model is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, right, he, he has Jesus as the model. Then he looks at us, and we ain't nothing like that. So what he got to do is start chipping away. Chipping away at stuff, at the issues 
at the things that make us weak. For in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect in us. Right? The goal of the Holy Spirit is to cause us or to work with us, walk with us every day to become like Jesus. And then lastly, verse 23, he said, it says, he who formerly persecuted now preaches. He was a persecutor, but now he preaches. So the fourth R is repurpose. God repurposes us. God don't just, you know, if, and I have seen this. I have seen drug dealers, drug use. I'm talking about thugs number one on the street. When they get saved, God repurposes them. See, some of the best sales people are drug dealers. They're just selling the wrong thing. So, so, so I've watched them go into the marketplace and actually take everything they learned on the street and because God has redeemed them, they are repurposed. So Paul says, the scripture says, he who once persecuted the church now preaches. He was zealous, so much so he was headed to Damascus, but that zealousness, God said, I can use, man, I can use that. And what I'm going to do is repurpose it and cause you to be a preacher of the gospel and a writer of scripture. So let me rehearse that. Number one, grace causes us to take a look at our past and not be ashamed of it. Not be ashamed. Jesus is not ashamed of the cross because he died in the open naked on a tree, but he's not ashamed because we, we point back to the cross, those of us who are in the future. But the wonderful thing about the power of the cross is that Adam and Eve and everybody, Abraham from the past, can point forward to the cross. So the cross of Jesus Christ, it has the power to go back and redeem, go forward and redeem. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he goes back to your past. During those days, you was crazy. During those days, you was a little nasty and out of, just out of kilter and goes back and redeems all of that and now makes you a new creation in Christ. He's the God that can take a nasty prostitute like, like Rahab and put her in the hall of faith to say, follow this woman, faith. But she was a harlot. That's what she was. Then she got redeemed. I know the problem with people. People like to always go back to your past sometime and, and rub it in your face. That's all right. You can talk about my past. But if you're going to talk about my past, make sure you include my present and make sure you include my repurposing of who I was because the grace of God, the caris, that caris, that favor that God gives us comes from Jesus. I remember, and I'm done. My second closing. I remember in the old church, growing up in the church, when the service was over, the pastor would get up and they would say this community. And see, we were taught that if you had to work 
or if you couldn't make it through the whole service, still come if you have to make the benediction. We were literally taught that. And some people would literally come at the end because they believed that when the pastor said these words, and it, and it was usually something like this, now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with these God children now, henceforth, and forevermore. And let the church say amen. Then we would sing amen. Amen. And you somebody say, man, I made the benediction. Praise God. I got in there. I got that prayer. Orangewood, God loves you. God has used this church for 45 years. Celebrate what God has done. Celebrate who he has done it through. You and many others who have gone on to be with the Lord. Leaders, members. But just believe that your best days are still in front of you and that the last 45 years has prepared you for such a time as this to be dispensers of the grace of God. And as one writer in scripture says, see to it that there's not a person that doesn't experience the grace of God. Because some of God's grace needs to be seen and felt through you and through me. And if I'm not loving my neighbor as myself and I say I'm a Christ follower, then what does, that, what does the world say about the grace of God? And so we must have our, and y'all good now with your, with your orthodoxy. But are you as good with your orthopraxy, the practice of your faith? When you leave here, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your children. Love your neighbor. Love your coworkers. Treat people the way they want to be treated. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by how much orthodoxy you have. No, he didn't say that. He said, by this. What's this, Lord? How are people going to know? You mean I need to be able to quote this, the, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? No. Do I need to be a member of a church? No, no. I mean, you should be a member of a church, but that ain't what I'm getting at. What's the this? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. For love is the fulfilling of the law. That's the book. And that's the grace of God because it was the love. God so loved us that he sent Jesus. And all you have to do is put your faith in him. Because a life without Jesus is not a life at all. So commit your life to him. Love your orange wood. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. I don't think it's one o'clock. Um, 
But that's all I have for you. I love you. I appreciate you. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. God bless you, Pastor Tyler. You and your precious wife, Rachel. Blessings to your children. Blessings on every leader of this church. And I pray that the blessing of the Lord will continue to rest on this organization, on, on this organism of the church, Orangewood Presbyterian, and that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. God bless you and God keep you is my prayer.